Thanks for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. Our hope is that it helps you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Okay, we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, it's, we're just a uh, minute or two early, but we'll, we'll jump right in here. Um, so if you recall, I asked you a, a homework question. I told you I'm not, I'm not going to um, press you on that. So that was just for you, and it, it will come up again uh, towards the end of our time together today um, that we will talk about that. But just a real quick review for those of you who haven't been here in a while or maybe have never been here. We have been looking at, um, again, we're calling them scenes. The, the 50 cent uh, literary word is motif. These ideas of pictures or recurring themes that happen over and over again and, and specifically in, in the scriptures. And so we started off talking about the fact that the scriptures are really laid out with a story. It is a story that is redemptive in nature. In other words, the story itself is all about redemption, how God is going to redeem sinners from their sin. Um, And we said that it unfolds over time in a historical manner. In other words, think of it this way. Um, Have you ever played uh, a game um, where you get clues or ideas as you go along and then at the end is to try and figure out what what you're looking for what you're talking about something like that that's really what the scripture is about you're getting these pieces these these pictures as you go along and so as we've looked at the scriptures we've always said okay we need to understand what is this telling us about redemption what are we learning about redemption as we go through and then what does it really mean for me my redemptive story And then we also said that the scriptures are really divided into a contrasting structure. Uh, We saw that there were two kingdoms. There's uh, uh, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth or the kingdom of man. We talked about there's an Old and a New Testament. Uh, We talked the first two weeks that there is earth and there is heaven, this recurring motif, if you will. Uh, We talked last week about captivity or slavery. This week we're going to talk about the promised land. And then uh, the, the final two that we are looking at is wilderness and garden. These are, again, two recurring motifs or scenes that we see over and over again that really help us to understand the story. So before we jump into uh, having you do your table discussion and looking at these passages of Scripture, I have a, a question for you. And this one's you may have to scratch your head on this, uh, but I want you to spend some time thinking about it. How has your baptism affected you in this past week? In other words, as you think back over the past week and you think about baptism, or you can choose, uh, if you have already been to service, maybe you perhaps think of the Lord's Supper. Maybe that's fresher on your mind. How has that affected you in this past week? Any thoughts? If anybody got baptized this past week, then maybe you might have a more recent example. Yeah, it's moved us from the condemned to the redeemed. Okay. It is, yeah, it's changed everything. Okay, it changed everything. But do we live in that? Do we live in that reality? You know what I'm 
I'm saying? Do we, do we come to the point to recognizing that that wasn't something that happened at one time, but it's a recurring picture for us, just like uh, the Lord's Supper is as we, as we come each week. It, it's a reminder, but it also points forward, doesn't it? As long as you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Baptism is very much the same way. Uh, so anyways, as we go through and you look at these, I want you to think about this. Now remember, these passages of scripture that we're going to be looking at somehow in some way relate to this theme, this motif of the promised land. The idea that God has called us to a place um, that ultimately he will be with us. He will dwell with us. So just take a, a real big thumbnail sketch over the scripture. In the Garden of Eden, who walked with Adam and Eve? God came down and walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. In the Garden in Revelation, what is the sort of summary statement of the book of Revelation? Now the dwelling place of God is with men. And so you see this overarching picture. And all of a sudden you put... I'm going to say right in the middle of it. It's not geographically in the middle, but you understand what I mean. Who comes down? God comes down in the form of Christ. And so we see over and over again, God stepping into our existence in order to bring about redemption story. Okay, so we have, uh, again, the class layout. Um, we don't have all of these tables. So if you guys want to join another table, you're welcome to, and I'll give you summaries of these two and we can kind of look at them. Um, so if you just want to focus on these here, or if somebody wants to take two, you know, if you want to, if you got a big table and you want to divide up and half do one of those, that's fine as well. Okay, so I'll give you about 15 minutes to talk about that. The question that you're looking at is, okay, what does this teach me about God's unfolding redemptive story in history? And then secondly, how does this help me in my own redemption? Make sense? All right, I'll start the timer and you are free to go. Okay, hopefully you are mostly done. Uh, if you're not mostly done, hopefully you have uh, at least arrived at some sort of consensus. It is good to hear you uh, communicating around the word um, and ties in very nicely with today's sermon. So if you haven't been there, hopefully it will make sense to you once you get there. If you have been, hopefully it makes sense. Now, well, let's begin by praying, shall we? Father, we come before you. We ask that you would make the book live to us. God, we ask that you would show us yourself. And as you show us yourself, we would understand who we are. And God, once we have understood who we are, that you would show us our Savior. God, make the book live to us so that we might have hope even when there is no reason to hope. In Jesus' name that we ask these things. Amen. Okay, so real quickly, what I'm going to do is run through the first two. Um, and you don't need to turn here. Uh, I'm just going to uh, fire these off. So Exodus chapter 3 is, is when Moses encounters God at the burning bush. And 
This is God speaking to Moses, okay? He says this, Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings, and I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And so one of the things that this teaches us, first of all, is that God is aware of our misery, our suffering, our situation, and not only that, but he comes down. He transcends into our world, into our being, uh, in order to bring us redemption. That is a key component of um, the redemption story. And then again, in Deuteronomy chapter 26, so the Israelites have come out of Egypt, um, they have uh, come into the land and God is giving them the beginning of the instructions of how they ought to live in the land. And uh, Deuteronomy chapter 26 is about giving the first fruits of the land. Uh, we, you know, we might call it the tithe or the offering, but uh, in Deuteronomy it's called the, the first fruits. And he says, when you, when you enter the land, the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance and you take possession of it and live in it. Take some of the first of all the land's produce that you harvest from the land and the Lord, your, <clears throat> excuse me, from the land the Lord your God has given you and put it in a basket. Then go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to have his name dwell. When you come before the priest who is serving at that time, say to him, Today I declare to the Lord your God that I have entered the land the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest will take the basket from you and place it before the altar of the Lord your God. You are to respond by saying in the presence of the Lord your God, My father was a wandering Aramean. He went down to Egypt with a few people and resided there as an alien. There he became a great powerful and populous nation, but the Egyptians mistreated and oppressed us. And so basically he's recounting the story of what happened in Egypt. Verse eight, then the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand and an outstretched arm with terrifying power and with signs and wonders. He led us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And I have now brought the first of the land's produce that you, Lord, have given me. You will then place the container before the Lord your God and bow down to him. And so in Deuteronomy, we're taught that God's presence is with his people in the land of promise. Did you catch that? You, you bring this to where God says, I'm going to have my name dwell. God is dwelling with his people in the land, uh, uh, in the land of promise. So I'm just going to use this word. God is going to abide with us. Okay, does that make sense? So now uh, I guess we'll, we'll start here in order to keep everything in uh, chronological order. What did you, so you guys had Joshua chapter four, uh, one to three, and then 19 to 24. So what did you learn about that passage <clears throat> and redemption? There were rocks. <laughs> there were rocks. That reminds me of a Michael Stanley band song, Cleveland Rocks. Sorry, go ahead. God cleared the way and left symbolism as a reminder of his might. Yeah. Kathy said grace. Mercy. Mercy. Yeah, so memorials mark God's provision for us. 
display God's glory and teach us to fear him. Did you catch that at the end where it talks about you will learn to fear him as your, as your children come along here, you use this to teach others to fear them. So I ask you the question at the beginning, how has your baptism affected you this week? In reality, our baptism ought to affect us all the time, shouldn't it? That, that's really what Paul says in Romans chapter six. Don't you know that when you were baptized, you were baptized into his death? And then you were raised again to this new life. That, the idea is that the awareness of that, that memorial should remind us over and over again, we have laid down this old life. As a matter of fact, the, uh, the reformers called it ordinary means of grace. This is the way that God uses in our lives to transform us. As we come before the table, it's not just a, um, a thing that we do, but in some way God is using that uh, not in a mystical way or in some supernatural way, but he is using that in the transforming process to change us. Uh, again, ordinary means of grace. Okay, um, let's, so I'm gonna put up here just the idea of memorials because that is something that is very uh, prevalent in this passage and then also fear. Not, not that we have fear, but that we learn to fear the Lord and not Cower in fear, revere the idea of reverence, worship, those kinds of things. Those three things again, Provision for us, display God's glory, and teach us to fear Him. Okay, Colossians chapter 3. So we have been transferred. The book of Colossians loves to paint this picture between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And the representative of the kingdom of light is Christ. And we have been transferred out of this kingdom of darkness into this kingdom of light. And we have been put into this new place. So we should live in the reality of transferred citizenship. We should recognize that we are no longer bound to those things that we were formerly bound to, right? Right? You, you, 
having been raised with Christ, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. That's kind of the introduction. Everybody's familiar with that. And then he goes on to talk about those negative things that we would dwell in and then those positive things and to live in the reality. And in a little bit, we're going to talk about how we combine this or how we do this in a practical sense in this broken and weary world. Because that really, that's the struggle that we have. Um, I'm, I'm glad that you pointed out. Notice he, he's not pointing out a bunch of quote-unquote good behavior that we ought to pursue. Um, oftentimes as Christians, we fall into this. We, we, are, we are marked as a Christian by what we don't do and what we do. That's kind of how we define ourselves. Paul never defined it that way. He said, we, we are Christians because of what God is creating in us. This kindness, this, this joy, this compassion, this humility. Those are the things that mark us. Jesus said the greatest, uh, or, or the way that people will know you are my disciples is by what? For? Oh, no, not others. Love for one another. Yeah, it, it is love for his followers. We should extend love to the world around us. But the way that the world will know we are his disciples is by the love that we have for each other. And what is the greatest thing that the church does? We shoot our wounded, don't we? Hopefully you understand what I mean by that. Okay, um, Hebrews chapter four and Psalm, I, this one, the reason that Psalm is in here is Psalm, is, uh, Psalm 95 is quoted in this uh, passage. That's why it's in there. I didn't forget where Psalms was in the Bible. So what did you guys decide on uh, Hebrews and Psalms? Ours was basically when, the, when Israel was in the desert, they hardened their hearts and, and, they, and God vowed that he wouldn't let them in the promised land. And those that have faith, if we have faith, then we will let them in the promised land. Great. So rest is only for those who believe. Sorry, I ran out of room. That's a hard thing for us to say, isn't it? But it's a warning that we have to understand that God's rest is not a guarantee for all of humanity. It is for those who believe, those who entrust themselves to God's redemptive plan, okay? Uh, and so it, we may not like it, we may not want to think about that, but it is important. It is an important part of the revelation story, of the redemptive story being revealed. Okay, uh, the final one, Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. This one was probably the hardest one. Of the, uh, not, I mean, it we just... Kind of got out of that, uh, the kind of gist of it here is he's talking to one of the churches the deal is, is that, you know, you were on fire when you first believed, first came to me, and but I hold it against you that while you're still persevering, you're still doing what you need to be doing, you've lost that love, original love. You're doing it now because it's habit or it's, you know, routine rather than because of the love that you have. Mm -hmm. Once we get back to that, us to get back to that original love when we first came to you. Yeah, good. So I, I'm, I'm just going to read this. Um, 
and I won't read all of it, but verse 2 says, I know your works, your labor, your endurance, that you cannot tolerate evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. I know that you have persevered and endured hardship for the sake of my name and have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works that you did at first. What is Jesus saying to that church? We are to live a life characterized by repentance. In other words, we are to live a life essentially in front of a mirror, very aware of ourselves. What is the mirror that we live in front of? I heard a couple different answers. I heard, I think, Jesus, God's Word. word. Why is it that we invest in this pathway? Because we can't trust our heart. We can't trust ourselves to know ourselves. I can't even trust Dan to know me. He may know me better than I know me, but I can't trust anyone. Why? Because I can hide really well. But there's one thing that I cannot hide from, God's Spirit through his word. And, and that's what, you know, what Mark is preaching on today, this idea of this is one of the ways in which we grow in our faith. One of the, the avenues, pathways, pick, pick your word. I'm choosing pathways because that's what the series is called. But that's one of the things that God uses to really um, confront us and demonstrate to us our um, inadequacy, Uh, And and when we live a life of repentance, these things happen. So last week, we talked about seven core human emotions. This is information from Dr. Chip Dodd. Um, He is a theologian and a counselor and a pastor in uh, Tennessee, I believe. Uh, But he talks about these seven core human emotions. Hurt, lonely, sad, anger, fear, shame, guilt, glad. And I, I was listening to another podcast of his this week, and he talks about the fact that um, he gave all these illustrations, and I'm not going to remember all of them, but think of musical notes. How many musical notes are there? Do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do. There's eight, right? But when you combine them, you have magnificent symphonies, songs, beautiful things, right? But it all comes from eight. Think of the colors. How many primary colors are there? I'm not an artist. Three primary colors, and yet all color in the world is based on those three primary colors. Same thing. You mix and match all of these, and you get hundreds of thousands of different feelings and emotions, but they all boil down to these seven, okay? And so the question then is, I I made the... um, Somebody asked me, and I I just want to clarify. I I wasn't saying that emotions are bad, okay? What I was saying, they can't be trusted. We can't trust them in the sense to lead us and guide us. Why? Why can't we trust them? Because feelings aren't truth. Okay, but they're based on truth, aren't they? I mean, God gave us these. So why can't we trust them? Okay. 
we are tainted by sin, and so we naturally want to protect ourselves. We naturally want to say, I'm right, that person's wrong. And so we need an arbiter, don't we? But if you recall, I said these are kind of like a check engine light. They are referenced to ideal or perfection. They are referenced to God's creation. They are referenced to God's nature. And guess what? We don't live right now with God's nature. We, we have this problem of sin and nobody else in this room lives with God's nature. We live in a fallen world. And so how do we in practicality not just ignore these feelings, but use them in such a way. And so if you recall, I said last week, we really have two choices. We can either ignore them or we can deal with them. So I wanna give you two more words that maybe better describe what we do. One of them is to react. We can react to our feelings. And what this does, when, when we react, we give the feeling, whatever, insert whatever feeling you're talking about. We give it sovereign authority in our life and it controls us. And we dwell in that. We're angry and we just continue to be angry. We continue to wallow in that. And we feel justified in it, don't we? You ever feel justified in feeling anger or hurt or lonely? Or am I the only one? Nod your head, let me hear the marbles rattle or something. Yeah, so, so we dwell in these things and we allow that emotion, that feeling to have ultimate control over our lives. Yes? I just have a question. Sure. Core emotions. Okay. Why is there only one positive? It looks that way, but they're not. And I'm going to demonstrate that for you here in just a minute, if you'll hang with me. These emotions are relational responses that we have, um, and they lead to a gift that is very, very good. Okay? So trust me and hang with me, and we'll get there. Yeah? Are there seven or are there eight? Should be seven. Are there eight? You have a glad in for some reason that wasn't originally there. Yeah, so there are... He, he draws a line there. Um, seven core human emotions. This eighth is one that we should have, but we very often don't have. So sorry. Here, uh, that, I'm glad that you caught that because I probably did that last week too. Eight. Eight core human emotions. So originally there was a psychologist that named seven, and so he added the eighth. So sorry. Um, Let's see, where were we? Oh, so we, we, we dwell in this idea of um, our, our suffering, so our, our, our emotions. So last week, I gave you the beginning of a quote, and I want to give you the end of it. Redemptive suffering leads to shared sorrow. Remember, we talked about the fact that true redemptive suffering, when it happens according to God, it will lead us into community and to have other people bear burdens. Do you remember last week's homework question, what I asked you? What is the greatest burden that you need help carrying? Does that make sense? And hopefully, as you thought of that, you thought of something that comes to mind. Here's the end of the quote. Shared sorrow leads to an eternal hope. 
shared sorrow encourages us towards something that is greater than us outside of ourselves. Well, how in the world does this happen? Think of the book of Ephesians and Colossians where we are told to bear each other's burdens, singing to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and so encouraging one another towards completeness, towards rest, towards the promised land. It's not up there anymore. That, that's really what, what the church is here for. So as we sort of summarize we talked last week about the fact that captivity does, God, God uses this sorrow and this difficulty in our life to bind our conscience, to, to remind us that we are under condemnation. Um, it's hot outside right now. I work outside and it is toilsome. I sweat. It's, there are days that I just can't wait to get into the air conditioning. You know what that reminds me of, though? Genesis chapter 3, when God says, it's going to be with difficulty that you are going to exercise dominion over my creation. Because you sinned, it's going to be with difficulty you're going to feed yourself. My toil is hard, but that reminds me that I live in this state of condemnation under God. We call that binding the conscience. And it brings us to repentance. It brings us to this place where we recognize, I can't fix this. It doesn't matter what I do. I, I can't change it. The book of Ecclesiastes, it doesn't matter what I do. I can't find happiness. I can't find peace. I can't find gladness. It's all futile. Until finally, we come to a place where we find our completeness in Jesus. We sit down in the presence of Jesus, and we rest and we say, you must do this. You must rescue me. You must redeem me. Like the children of Israel, crying out to God, saying, we can't take it anymore. You must do it. And what did God do? He came down. He demolished the authority of Egypt, of Pharaoh over them, and he led them out. And he led them into the promised land. Now, there's a parenthesis in there we're going to talk about next week. Promised land does this for us. It frees our conscience. That's faith. We rest in the person and work of Christ. So promised land frees our conscience. It brings us to rest. That's hope. We rest in him because we know that at some point he is going to deliver us into a good and wonderful place where there will be no more dying, no more death, no more pain, no more crying, no sorrow. And finally, it transforms our inner being. That's love. The three greatest things Paul talks about over and over and over again, faith, hope, and love. Now, let's talk about how this actually works in practicality. So when we are sinned against or we have some relationship that goes wrong and we have this feeling, when we react to the feeling, what happens? We allow that feeling to have dominion over us. When we respond to the feeling, we actually use the feeling to bring us to a place of transformation, of change. 
And in that, God gives us certain gifts, certain what I call grace gifts in that process to heal our relationships. Things like mercy. Things like bearing one another's burdens. <laughs> Brings us to Bob. Things like forgiveness. Somebody sins against us, God gives us this amazing thing where we now have the ability and the capacity to forgive. Why? Because we have been forgiven. He brings us things like forbearance. Um, oops, missed one there. Good night. Forbearance means I don't have to tell everybody their fault. Sometimes I can just overlook them. I don't have to be the one running around pointing out where everybody else is messing up. I don't have to comment on everything I see on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, because I think somebody's wrong. That was a hard lesson for me to learn. I felt like it was my job to correct everyone. Forbearance. God gives me this gift to recognize that I don't have to do that. Then I, I, I can just list these out. You'll know these. He gives us these things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The fruits of the Spirit that enable us to take this feeling and say, yes, I feel hurt because I was wrong. I feel angry because somebody did something to me. But God has given me forgiveness that I can extend to that person it doesn't absolve the hurt, right? It acknowledges it, but it leads me into a place where relationship is restored. Who gets glory in that situation? God does. Remember what those memorial stones were designed to do? Bring honor and glory to him. So as we go through life, we come along and we find these places where we set up our own memorial stones, don't we? Broken relationships. A, a job that turned its back on us. A spouse that left us. A coworker that spoke against us. All of those things. And we set up these memorials and they either honor us or they honor God. It depends on if we react to the feeling or if we respond to the feeling. And by responding, all we're simply doing is crying out to God, saying, this hurts. This is not what I want. And he will transform and bring these things into our lives, these grace gifts that will transform our relationships. So here's the, uh, you know, last week I, I read the beginning part of Vody Bauckham's quote to you all. I'll finish it now. In this world, it's all Egypt. There will never be enough gold chains, fine linen, praise, adoration, or anything else to satisfy the yearning that God has placed in us. Only his presence in the land of promise will satisfy his people. It's only his presence that is truly going to satisfy us. Here's the great part. We get to experience that. A taste 
of that right now. So you ask me, why are these emotions only bad? Because they lead us to things that are far beyond our ability to comprehend, far beyond our ability to know, to grasp. And in so doing, we get to, Peter says it this way, we participate in the divine nature. That blows my mind. That God draws us in and in some way we are participating with him in this nature to know what it is like to be like him. Comments, questions, criticisms. I'll give you your homework assignment here in a minute. Does that make sense? Say that again. Absolutely. We just finished the Jesus and Roman study on Thursdays and the last week she had us studying shalom and how sin is the opposite of shalom. She says the Garden of Eden was created in shalom, a Hebrew word that means wholeness, harmony, flourishing, and delight. Most people hear the word shalom and immediately think of peace, but in Hebrew, Shalom means so much more than peace. As Cornelius Plantinga Jr. puts it, Shalom is the way things ought to be. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit and sin entered the world, the story. Shalom was disturbed and thrown off balance because sin messes up the way things were meant to be. We were created for Eden but find ourselves living in a broken world where sin disturbed Shalom. We all ache for Eden. We all long for home. Mm. Hmm. It's good. If you remember when we first started, I told you that the longer that I live in this world, the more I realize it doesn't fit. And that's exactly what that quote is saying. That's what it means to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. As we grow in Christ, what we should find is not that we're doing less bad things and doing more good things. Hopefully that will be the result. But what we should find is that we are more and more weary of this broken world and we simply want to bring the light of hope into that world. That's what it, the promised land holds out for us. That's the, that's the promise of the land that we are looking for. And that's where we find that hope. Okay, any other questions or comments before Some of you are like, I'm never coming to this class again. So here's your homework assignment. What is the purpose of the wilderness experience in our lives? The Bible is full of wilderness journeys. The children of Israel, uh, Jesus in the desert, John the Baptist in the desert, um, Revelation 13 talks about the church being, or the, uh, the woman being driven into the wilderness. So what is the purpose of the wilderness experience is in our lives? Okay, that'll be for next week. We only have uh, two more sessions, so we will look at um, the... Wilderness experiences or motif next week. And then our final one will be the garden. What it will be like 
what the Bible teaches us about dwelling forever in a place of God's presence. That's what's held out to us in hope right now. And we'll look at that reality. All right, let's pray, shall we? Father, we uh, humbly acknowledge our need of you. We humbly acknowledge that we oftentimes don't get things right. We flounder, we struggle. We just can't see you in the midst of some of the struggles, some of the strife. God, we need your help in those moments. We need your spirit. As Paul says in Romans, we need him to pray in groans and utterances because we don't know what to ask for. We need each other and we need you. So God, give us faith, give us hope, give us love. We believe, help our unbelief. It's in Jesus' name that we ask these things. Amen. Thanks again for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. We hope that this teaching is helping you discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. If you're interested in learning more about Christchurch, visit us online at cco.church.